Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited-time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited-time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. Hello, America. Happy Sunday. I just got back from church. Time to get ready with a really great show. Do we have some food for thought for you? We sure do. Senator Rand Paul is in the house. That's right. Senator Rand Paul from the great state of Kentucky here to talk about Anthony Fauci. I think his future with Senator Rand Paul is going to become very interesting. I think the senator is going to talk about his desire to get an independent counsel, special counsel to investigate Anthony Fauci and the origins of COVID-19. He's going to kick off our show today. Then the man who will oversee the Hunter Biden investigation in a Republican House next year, if there is one. Congressman James Comer, the ranking Republican on House Oversight, joins us. i going to talk about that big scoop we had on Hunter Biden and the China oil and gas. We talked a little bit about that yesterday with Tim Stewart. Then a woman who has been the quarterback for a lot of the Republicans' health care market-first policies. She's a doctor herself from the great state of Iowa. Marinette Miller-Meeks, Congresswoman Miller-Meeks, will be joining us in just a few minutes. You'll love that. And then Jerron Smith, one of the great voices in the African-American community. Common Sense Solutions on crime, on economics, and economic opportunity. He's really one of the most compelling voices in the space today. We're going to have him on. Then my good friend, Heather Nauer. Yep, you remember her from Fox News. And before that, from the podium at the State Department, where she was a spokeswoman for President Trump at the State Department for Mike Pompeo. She's going to talk a little bit about her recent trip to Israel. Some really interesting things that went on there. And then we're going to wrap up with a few laughs. Absolutely. We can laugh on this show. We don't have to always be serious. The great comic, comedian. Tanya Lee Davis going to join us. Boy, is she a funny woman. You're going to enjoy it. She had me snickering. She'll have you snickering too. All right, let's take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll top off the Sunday show with Senator Rand Paul right after these messages. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote. It's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, 
shows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale. Four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Just News. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add Lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code justnews15. That's the promo code justnews15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a health care provider. Senator Rand Paul, great to have you on the show today. Glad to be with you. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. Sir, I want to start with something that happened a couple, about a week ago now. You had a great exchange with Dr. Fauci. He does not want to answer the question about whether members of these oversight committees that approve vaccines and drugs, check the safety, get money from the very drug companies that are monitoring your concerns about that. You know, first of all, you have to realize his level of resistance. He was asked, do any scientists receive royalties? And he says, I will not answer that question. So freedom of information, third parties went and filed these freedom of information acts, but realize that is now the court forcing him to release it. So then they do release some, some information, but they redact all of it. So what we finally learned after pressuring him, after having the courts push him, we learned that 1,800 NIH scientists received $193 million. So when you ask him this, he starts rambling about $21 check he got sometime. That's not the question. There's $193 million given to 1,800 scientists. Are any of those scientists on the vaccine committee? And is any of the money they received from the companies that make the vaccine? Think about it this way. If you have a school board and you own a textbook company, surely you wouldn't be on the school board and allowed to vote on giving a contract for the textbooks to your own company. Everybody knows this is wrong. Everybody knows that you should uh, reveal where you get your income if you're on a board that's approving the vaccines. Some of these companies have made I think one of them made $36 billion in a quarter. So maybe nobody on the committee is receiving money, but why wouldn't they release that? When you ask Fauci, he says, we don't have to tell you. And then he says, there's a 1980 law, says we don't have to tell you. But I can tell you this, we're looking at changing that law. And we're also looking at using the committee system. If, if we win in November and I'm chairman of a committee, which I will be, 
will use that subpoena power. The fact that he's retiring after the election means he thinks he can escape culpability. But if this came from a lab and he funded the lab and he lied about it and he covered it up, he's absolutely at the very least morally responsible for some of the pandemic that we've been through for the last few years. It's very concerning. And Senator, there has been an uncanny level of temerity with Dr. Fauci over the course of his public life, but especially during the COVID era. Of course, we all heard when he said, you know, I represent the science. If you criticize science, you're criticizing me. But then recently during the monkeypox uh, hearings, he told you that he wrote the chapter in the medical textbook on fun- fundamental immunology, he seems to just have a level of hubris that I've not seen from a public official in a long time. Um, with that level of hubris, do you think that he has ever been fully transparent or forthright with any of your questioning? No, and I think he should reread his chapter. You know, in his chapter, he talks about basic immunology, and he used to believe this. In 2004, when a mother asked him, my daughter's had the flu, does she need a flu vaccine? He answered honestly, And forthrightly, that the best inoculation is actually having had the disease. And it's true. You don't want to have any disease, but after you've had it, we should be honest about what immunity it confers. And the reason he's not been honest about it is he's basically said every kid needs to be vaccinated. Every kid needs three vaccines. But my question is, well, what if they've already had the disease? Do they really need three vaccines? Are there any children that have already had covid that are then going to the hospital and dying with a second infection? I think the answer is probably zero or very close to it. He just says, oh, we don't have the information It's because they're not revealing it. But this gets to his philosophy and his arrogance and his elitism. He truly, even if he thought it was appropriate to look at immunity, and even if he still thought immunity worked, he doesn't want it to enter into the calculation because he doesn't think the common man is capable of making these discernments and decisions. So this is what elitism is about. This is what the left is about. They believe they know better than you. When you talk about the nanny state, this is the nanny state in your healthcare because they think we are too stupid to make our own decisions. But frankly, parents are deciding not to do this. 95% of parents are not vaccinating their kids. 80% of the kids have had it. And if you look at immunity, 99% of Americans have some form of immunity, either from the vaccine or from having had the disease, and it should enter into your calculations. And look, I'm not anti-vaccine. There are certain people at risk, absolutely, I would recommend the vaccine. But then there are certain people at almost no risk that I don't recommend the vaccine. It should be based on the individual risks and benefits of that patient. But elitists think everybody are the same. Everybody's a cog. Everybody's a cog in the wheel. Everybody is to be treated with disdain, and you were just supposed to submit. This is who Anthony Fauci truly is, and his arrogance is stunning, and he should be separated from government as soon as possible. Yeah, I know that date's coming soon. There's a very big question that you've asked that I know you distrust the answer Dr. Fauci gave, but the last two weeks, Dr. Redingfeld said, I'm absolutely certain that uh, gain-of-function experimentation went on. Then an EcoHealth Alliance VP this week said there was gain-of-function going on. Dr. Fauci has denied it. Your thoughts on if he's lied to Congress, what's the best way to pursue that? Well, you know, we've sent a referral to the Department of Justice. I'm not holding my breath for Merrick Garland to do the right thing. But if uh, Merrick Garland were actually independent, he would look at it and he would try to look objectively about whether or not he's lied. 
I finally was able to get the Democrats to allow me to have a subcommittee hearing. They boycotted my hearing, but I brought in three scientists. One of the scientists has been critical and worried about pandemic viruses being created in the lab since 2004. He adamantly says, Dr. Fauci lied. There was gain of function research. It was dangerous research. It should have been pegged as dangerous research and it was never reviewed. You know, Fauci also lies and says, oh, my experts tell me it wasn't gain of function. Nobody looked at this. In fact, what we discovered in my hearing was that the, the committee that's supposed to look at dangerous research of pandemic, possibly pandemic creating viruses has only met three times. But once again, they will not tell us any of the names of the members of the committee and their minutes are secret. My goodness, even the Federal Reserve a couple of weeks later, a month later, will give you the minutes. This, that you would think that they're the Manhattan Project and they have the, the secrets to the you know, nuclear weapons. They will not reveal who's on the committee or the minutes. That's not oversight. I think that's obfuscation and really a cover-up is what it absolutely is. And I think the leader of that cover-up has been Fauci and he, he, he should be held to account. Senator, you've talked about uh, if Republicans take back Congress, as far as the investigating, you would want to appoint a special investigator, but also a special investigating scientist. Talk to us about why that's important to really glean as much uh, information out of all of this as we possibly can. I think to have a, a true investigation, you need to have someone who's focused just on that. You need to have someone who has the, the breadth of mind and wherewithal to do an investigation. This needs to be somebody who's either been an attorney general, assistant attorney general, someone that's you know been a director of a, a law enforcement agency, probably a lawyer who's in charge of the investigation. But the reason why I think you also need a special investigator who's a scientist is what scientists, particularly disreputable scientists like Fauci will do, is they'll run around the truth and try to uh, confuse the issue with the science. So you need a scientist who can immediately uh, come back and say, well, no, there was an article in 2018 that said this, and you're not being on, you know, you have to understand the science. And so we will have somebody with a breadth of knowledge who understands the science. And when we investigate the origin, I promise the American people, I'll bring in people from both sides. I will bring in scientists who absolutely say it came from animals, and I will bring in scientists who absolutely believe it came from the lab, and we will weigh the evidence but I've looked at the evidence, and what I see is a mountain of evidence saying it came from the lab, and I see virtually none other than innuendo that it came from animals. And so we're going to evaluate this, and honestly, we're going to come to a conclusion. We're not going to come to, oh, we don't know. We're going to look at the mountain of evidence, and we're going to decide and make a conclusion that all Americans will accept. And, but we are going to present both sides. But this has not been done. Can you imagine six million people died and the Democrats could care less whether it came to the lab? And we already have historic examples of lab leaks like this. This wouldn't be the first lab leak. This might be the 10th or 12th major leak. There have been other leaks that have actually caused minor epidemics, thousands of people being infected. We know that. Several of these have happened in China in the past. So it's remarkable the, the lack of curiosity from Democrats on 6 million people, people dying, and what we might do to, to prevent something like this from happening again. Well, Senator, you have been such an important voice. It's uh, getting to the truth and also giving the American people some transparency where there's none or very little right now. We're really grateful for you having you on the show today and hope to have you back on real soon. Thank you. Thank you, sir. 
All right, folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, James Comer, the top Republican on the House Republican Committee, Congressman Comer, joining us next to talk about all things Hunter Biden. Hey, folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome back, everyone. It was about three years ago uh, in the spring of 2019 when I started to do a bunch of reporting on Hunter Biden and his foreign business clients, Ukraine, China, trying to get a military contractor from the United States into China's hands. Well, our next guest has picked up that investigation and advanced it farther than anyone. He is the ranking Republican on the House Oversight Committee. And he is Congressman James Comer joining us now. Congressman, great to have you on the show today. Great to be back on your show. You uh, have done some extraordinary work. Uh, my understanding is you have a cooperating witness, a whistleblower, and some new documents showing an effort mm -hmm. by the entire Biden family to help China get its hands on drilling assets and natural gas assets from the United States. Tell us what you know. Well, what we know is that Hunter Biden's company, Hudson West, was negotiating a deal with the Chinese energy company, CEGC, to not only purchase American natural gas, but also to try to start purchasing interest in American drillers for natural gas so they could start to take control of the American natural gas industry through the drillers. Now, now think about this, John. The president has sold our strategic oil reserves to China. And now we find out that the president's son was working to try to get China's foot in the door on natural gas. Can you imagine if something happens and uh, China owns all the drillers and we run out of natural gas and, and potentially have a gas shortage, but we don't have any strategic reserve because it's all gone to China at the hands of the Biden family? Uh, but what's oh, even worse is with this company, Hudson West, uh, we also learned that Hunter Biden was communicating with the Chinese to uh, have office space in Washington, D.C., and he needed four keys. He needed one for himself. He needed one for Jim Biden, the president's brother. And get this, he needed two more, one for Joe Biden and one for Jill Biden. So this wow. is starting to prove that Joe Biden was involved directly. 
with Hunter Biden's shady business dealings with our adversary, China. All right, sir. So let me ask this a follow up. Uh, beyond the documents which you've done, I understand you might have one or more witnesses that are corroborating what went on and filling in the blanks in the documents. Is that true? That's true. We have two whistleblowers, and I'm confident they're going to come forward in a Republican majority uh, when I can conduct the hearings and I have the gavel for oversight to tell us in detail what their objectives were. And these people were associates of Hunter Biden. And the ultimate goal, and the Bidens knew this, was for China to start to take ownership in all the different parts of the natural gas industry in the United States. Uh, maybe they don't own the wholesaler because that has to get uh, you know, FTC approval or, or whatever, but they actually take ownership in the drillers. This is a, an area where uh, you could sneak and get your foot in the door. You could, you could uh, start taking ownership without anyone knowing. Now, you know how outraged people are that China bought some farmland in the Dakotas. Right. The American people should be outraged at a million times that rate knowing that the Bidens tried to get China ownership in our natural gas industry. I mean, that is a national security crisis. And it's not just Hunter Biden. Everyone in America knows that Hunter Biden was influence peddling. They know that he's a shady business character. But what they, what they don't know, unfortunately, is that not only did Joe Biden know exactly what Hunter Biden was doing, but Joe Biden was also directly involved in the companies that were profiting from China uh, getting their foot in the door on our American energy industry. We saw this pattern of trying to help China um, acquire U.S. assets. Mm -hmm. uh, back in 2015-16, Obama years, uh, mm -hmm. Hunter Biden and his team helped the uh, Chinese obtain a company called Heckinger's, which was a right. uh, defense contractor, made very sensitive windshields for our fighter jets. Um, it seems as though they found a pattern here. And by 2017, Joe Biden's in. Talk a little bit about why China would want to use an American to get its foot in the door in American companies. Well, you know, you would have to use an American and, a, and an American whose last name is Biden uh, to be able to get in the front door. Because if if some person directly from China, from the Commun Chinese Communist Party, is going to knock on your door and want to buy ownership and company, most credible American business owners are going to slam the door in their face, right? Exactly. But if you've got the son of the former vice president of the United States, who's being mentioned as the potential presidential candidate and front runner for the Democrat nomination, then they're going to let that person in the door. And that's what Hunter was. He was basically trying to broker deals with our adversaries on defense contracts, on energy. These are the utmost of national security concern. Yeah. And, you know, what we're learning in, in the last 12 months that China's got probably more knowledge and, and uh, uh, more access to our locations than we ever dreamed through companies they own like TikTok and through the semiconductors they own and, and manufactured that are in our drones. You know, we have a crisis here, a national security crisis with China. And the one American that we know for sure that was directly involved in trying to help our adversaries get an advantage over us is Hunter Biden. And now the reason we're investigating Hunter Biden, as we've said all along, is because we know he's a national security threat and we fear he's compromised Joe Biden. What we've been able to, to prove this week is that Joe Biden was, in fact, knowledgeable of what Hunter Biden was doing. And he may have, in fact, profited from this shady business deal. That's why we need those business 
in those uh, uh, financial transactions that I've requested from the Treasury Department that thus far, not only Janet Yellen, but also the House Democrats have blocked us from getting. Yeah, it's remarkable. And I assume one of the things you'd be looking for are payments from Hunter Biden to his dad or Hunter Biden's mm -hmm. companies to his dad. We've seen that uh, there were emails that said he paid some of his father's taxes. I think there mm -hmm. were some other things about paying his bills. Do you think from the human um, witnesses that you have that maybe those payments went far beyond the things that are in the emails? Yes. Uh, according to at least one of his former business associates, Hunter Biden paid for a lot of things for Joe Biden, hotel trips, meals, vehicles, you know, uh, you, you, lots of uh, things that you would never expect a son to pay for for, for their father. Right. So this might have been a way around uh, Joe Biden protecting himself from uh, having a direct payment from Hunter Biden. But in a Republican majority, John, hopefully this is going to come out in the open because we have a lot of people that have been affiliated with Hunter Biden that want to tell the truth. They're concerned about our national security. And, uh, you know, the, the more I dive into this, the worse it gets and the scarier it gets. And, and the thing, the two things that upset me the most right now is number one, that the national media is not giving this a, the attention it deserves. I can only imagine if this was one of the Trump kids, what, what exactly. we would be seeing on the news right now. And number two, where in the heck was the FBI? They had access to all this information too. Where in the heck was the FBI and where are they now? That's a great question. Four years of investigating and still no outcome. Mm -hmm. uh, we got about a minute left, so I wanna ask about this. If uh, Hunter Biden was making payments and paying off the bills, that would create a stream of income that we don't see on Joe Biden's income taxes or on his uh, financial disclosure forms. Could Joe Biden theoretically have a tax problem if these payments are confirmed? You would think that, you know, look, Hunter Biden was was influence peddling. We call that lobbying in in Washington. And, you know, he hasn't filled out any disclosure forms. We know that he's being investigated for tax fraud. So he wasn't reporting that income. If he's transferring things of value to Joe Biden, then that's a tax issue for Joe Biden as well. So, you know, you also have disclosures. You can receive gifts from family members, which is probably what the president would try to say. But if those gifts that you're receiving come from our adversaries and come from influence peddling and come from lobbying, which is what Hunter Biden was theoretically doing, then is that a problem for Joe Biden from a legal standpoint? I think Joe Biden's got a lot of problems with Hunter Biden. And I can tell you, the Democrats up in this town, they know it, too. That's why they don't want to talk about Hunter Biden. Yeah, well, thank God you're on the case. These are major developments, major advances in this investigation, sir. Thank you so much for bringing us up to speed on, on all you're doing. Thank you. And uh, we're not anywhere near finished. We're going to keep going. And I think in a Republican majority, the American people are going to be shocked at uh, some of the things that are going to come out with respect to Hunter Biden and his family. I am certain of it. And we're so grateful that you're sharing it with us and helping us understand just how serious these issues are. Thanks again, Congressman. Thank you. All right, folks, when we turn from the commercial break, Congresswoman Mary Nett Miller-Meeks here to talk about Republican health care solutions, including those in the commitment with America that Kevin McCarthy unveiled in Pennsylvania on Friday. We'll have that right next. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Congresswoman Marinette Miller-Meeks of Iowa is a doctor and has been on the legislative front lines to provide common sense and affordable solutions during times of major health policy challenges. While many Democrat lawmakers try to take the credit for being the leaders on health care, Republicans are doing just as much while trying to find some bipartisan solutions. And joining us right now is a congresswoman who just introduced the Biologic Competition Act. Congresswoman, great to have you on the show today. Well, thank you so much for having me on, John and Amanda. I really appreciate your bringing attention to these issues. Yeah, they're so important and they don't get covered enough in the media anymore. I want to start, uh, before we go to the new legislation, just want to start with a big ruling. Came out just a short while ago. A federal judge has ruled uh, that the Biden administration may not impose COVID-19 vaccine or mask mandates on the children and teachers inside the federal health uh, Head Start program. Your thoughts about that ruling? It seems to be the latest rebuke of the Biden administration's overreach. Well, this was a huge overreach of the federal government. And as you said, this was a bill that I uh, put out back in April when I learned that, you know, every state in the union was getting rid of mass mandates. You know, children were back in school. We lo- know that learning loss was most significant among those in uh, lower income, uh, mo- more vulnerable populations, people of color. But yet in Head Start, because it's a federal program, they were still requiring that two, three and four year olds wear masks. Uh, and it's not just the mask wearing, it's also the learning loss, the speech development. So when you already have children that are starting out uh, from a disadvantaged uh, position to place this burden on those children, uh, when there was plenty of documented evidence that uh, speech impediment learning uh, was um, was not enhanced, was actually detrimental in wearing masks in this age group, um, you know, language development, you know, it was just insane that this policy was kept forward. So I put forth the bill, tried to get people on this bill, tried to mass support, and I would talk about this. And people were shocked in Iowa when I would mention that we are still masking three and four year olds in the Head Start program because it's a federal program. Amazing. And I, maybe maybe this judge, I think it was Judge District Judge Doty down in Louisiana, who's had some significant rulings lately. Maybe he heard President Biden's 60 Minutes interview where President Biden said that the pandemic is over. So he felt compelled to rule this way. I wanted to ask you, though, about your Biologics Competition Act. Competition, I feel like in any area of commerce or industry is very important, but especially in healthcare. And I read the description of this bill and Congresswoman, it just seems like common sense to me. Well, certainly all of us are aware of generic drugs, and we know generic drugs have been able to bring down the cost of medications. If you recall back to when Medicare Part D was put in place, um, you know, I won't say the entity, the company came out with $4 generic drugs, and that really changed the landscape for uh, prescription drugs. So for drugs such as insulin, 
even though they're a medication, they're just not classified in the same way. So this was a bill in order to get competition, to get pharmacists to be able to um, uh, to substitute a biologically uh, similar drug, a, an equivalent drug, if you will, chemically equivalent uh, medication, so that we could bring down costs. So in essence, what we're trying to get out is biosimilar drugs that are the same, that they are, uh, you know, chemically they have an equivalency to let those be prescribed as generic drugs, which would bring down the cost of medication. And everyone is struggling with that as inflation goes up. Um, healthcare is going to be a big issue in the November election. Uh, the Republicans are going to roll out their commitment with America in the next couple of days. Tell us a little bit about the differences in the way Republicans have approached healthcare and the way uh, the Obamacare Democrats have approached it. Well, the way I think you can look at the uh, Obamacare, uh, we knew that it was going to lead to increased uh, uh, cost of premiums, which it has. They've skyrocketed. We knew people would lose insurance coverage, which they did. We knew people would be, uh, you know, um, relegated to uh, doctors not within their own network. And we've seen that as insurance companies have narrowed their networks. So costs are up, um, you know, and uh, people weren't able to keep their providers. Networks are narrowed. So you know, the Democrats approach has been, you know, using Obamacare to go to a single payer Medicare for all system. But as you know, and your viewers know, Medicare for all is not the same program that we have now. So whereas the Democrats want the government to control everything, they want an archaic, paternalistic, patriarchal system of the past where some bureaucrat is controlling your health care decisions. And the Republicans want to use technology, state of the art advances in health care in order to help empower you to have better health, to be able to control your health, and to empower both you and your doctor to make decisions that are best for you. We want to use advancing technology that will able to bring down costs, that will be able to, uh, to help you and inform you of what's available and to help you, um, you know, manage your own health care uh, and health resources and behavior that get you to uh, better healthy lifestyles which will also bring down costs. So it's a dramatically different approach using competition, using available technology and information, but really putting the doctor and patient back in control uh, of their health care and health care decisions that they make. Dramatically different. One is modern, state-of-the-art, forward-thinking, uh, a, a decision that you and your doctor make puts you, the consumer, the patient in charge. And the other one is, as I said, top-down bureaucratic control of your healthcare decisions and watching what we've seen of some of our federal government agencies, you know, do we really want more bureaucrats in charge? <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, here, here. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you about telehealth. This is something that uh, I think for the most part, it really kind of sprang to the forefront of American medical society during COVID because so many people were told to stay home. So many people wanted to stay home. They didn't want to get out in public and possibly subject themselves to other people who might be sick. But uh, the telehealth apps that exist out there are mainly privately funded. Some of them, I think, are supported by hospital systems like Cedars-Sinai uh, and UCLA. But is there is there some type of federal investment that needs to be made into telehealth so that going forward, even though we're out of COVID, uh, communities like rural communities will still have access to it? So two things. One is that technology really accelerated to the point that it made telehealth acceptable. So you know, even for a decade, we've been trying to get groups of people, uh, even in the same location, onto one screen at a time. And so, and then images and digital images, being able to transmit them. So as technology improved, cameras improved, 
improved, uh, connectivity improved. It really, when it, the uh, COVID-19 pandemic hit and people were told to stay home, technology was at a place where it made telehealth so much better and so much more palatable and acceptable. Uh, so I think, um, you know, we have rules that need to change, but I think the marketplace will take care of that. What we do need investment in from the federal government or from government resources is in broadband. So making sure people have connectivity. So in rural areas, connectivity is extraordinarily important. When I did broadband bills in the Iowa State Senate, I called them, uh, please get Dr. Miller makes better uh, connectivity, better Internet access so her children will come home for more than a day. And so, but it underscores the point that when you're in rural areas, but even in urban areas, there will be desert areas where you do not have uh, connectivity. Uh, and so making sure that there is widespread broadband access is extraordinarily important. That's going to help with telehealth, telework, and telelearning. But then on the federal side, looking at our regulations that don't reimburse for telehealth, uh, since I came into Congress, I've been on numerous bills, letters, in order to try to get the waivers that were made through the pandemic to get those made permanent. So we're going to continue to see telehealth uh, accelerate, but we also need the broadband um, infrastructure investment uh, that I think we're seeing. Our state did that. Governor Reynolds did that with some of the CARES dollars that was received. Uh, And so it was a very wise investment in the state in how to get uh, more broadband access, even out to the last dollar mile. So important. Congressman, you're a leader in this field. We're so lucky to have you on on a monumental week with your bill coming out, the courts ruling in a good direction. A lot of exciting stuff going on in the healthcare space. Thanks for joining us today. Again, thank you for covering these very important topics. Don't touch that dial. When we come back, Jerron Smith, one of the greatest voices in the African-American community, going to be talking about the crime and economic crises in blue cities across America right after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome back, America. Our next guest served in President Trump's administration as his deputy assistant and went on to become the deputy director of the Office of American Innovation. He joins us now to discuss the upcoming U.S. Senate races and the rise in crime. Joining us right now, Jerron Smith. Jerron, great to have you with us today. Thanks for having me, John. Um, I've been watching a fascinating dynamic over the last couple of weeks. You see these big name Senate candidates, Mandela Barnes in Wisconsin, Katie Hobbs in Arizona, uh, John Fetterman in Pennsylvania. They made their claim to fame as liberal activists. They made a lot of statements. And now come general election time, they're running from those statements, particularly as it comes to crime. Fetterman on uh, decriminalizing heroin, uh, Mandela Barnes on a lot of the different things. 
Fetterman last night had to reverse himself on releasing second-degree murderers. Your thoughts on what's going on and how damaging this may be for the Democratic Party? Well, I think it's, um, these people are showing some of their true colors. You know, at the end of the day, you can't play around with public safety. Um, if you're going to do a reform of any kind of our justice system, you have to do it in the most responsible way, and that's protecting the safety of, um, of, of, of all the individuals that's involved, including the victim victims. Yeah, Jaron, I wanted to ask you um, about your involvement in the Trump administration, but also why crime is one of those issues that's important to you. I know that you are a Cleveland native and uh, and you experienced a lot of this crime or saw it, observed it growing up. Uh, talk to us about your background on that. Sure. So, you know, I grew up in uh, inner city Cleveland. Um, in fact, I've, I've had um, uh, some friends who've had some running with the law. I've also had it early on in my life. Um, but there's there's a clear example of um, those who um, are deserving of a second chance um, and those who um, we need to bring the full force of the law on. That's why I started a, a coalition for public safety to speak to the nuances around justice reform. And being tough on crime um, for us means being very smart on crime and recognizing those nuances, knowing when there's the individuals that deserve a second chance versus the individuals that are hardened criminals that need to be held accountable and locked up with the full faith of the law. Yeah, so extraordinary. When you see this no bail reform and you see people that commit a heinous, violent crime and 24 hours or less later, they're back on the street. What do people in the communities where the, this is going on, because they're mostly blue urban communities, what do they think? I mean, they must be fear, fearful to even go out of their homes when they know that's the dynamic. It's, it's got to be weighing on people's minds as we go into this election. Well, it is. Um, the, the truth of the matter is there's evidence-based solutions that exist to dealing with violent crime. You know, um, our principles calls for us to first fund the police. Um, two, let's have the police focus on solving violent crimes and crime prevention. Three, let's invest in evidence-based solutions that we know solve violent crimes. And then lastly, let's do smart on crimes like the First Step Act, which President Trump passed. That legislation had 11,000 people, nonviolent individuals come home, and only uh, 17 of those individuals went back to prison. You're talking about a 0.01 percentage on rate and recidivism rate, um, when the federal recidivism rate is around 30, 30%. Um, that's a drastic change, and that makes communities safer. And uh, any reform in this area has to be around public safety. Jaron, um, allow me to speak frankly about something. We see in a lot of inner city communities, particularly black communities, this crime that is just a cancer on the population. And you look at the breakdown in polling as far as defunding the police and a lot of these progressive initiatives. And within those black communities, people don't support the far left policy points. Um, and yet they continue to vote Democrat. How do you shift that narrative and show them that the way that they vote matters? It's literally life and death in their own homes. So it's, it's an interesting thing in our urban areas. Um, in our urban areas, in many cases, the individuals that make these laws, um, they, they have a false choice. They don't really have a, a choice. They have a progressive against a progressive because they're on liberal led cities. Um, but uh, these individuals, this is why we started the coalition, um, deserve leadership. Um, when you think about the mothers um, and the families that, that have taken loss, losses, you know, I got a friend, uh, Gianno Caldwell, who uh, worked for Fox News, and he recently just lost his brother yeah. um, um, to, to a violent crime in Chicago. Um, and there's, there's, there's dozens and, and, and millions of um, hundreds of families that have experienced the same 
um, same thing that he's experienced. And we want change. Um, that's why we're going to advocate um, for those people, um, for those forgotten communities. Um, and the truth of the matter, you know, the crime existed um, even before the George Floyd murders. The problem is, is that with this whole defund the police movement, it's increased drastically in those same communities. And so people are rallying for some change um, and we're going to do all we can to fight for change. You know, John, you did a great job when you were working for the president and since you left the White House to focus on evidence-based solutions. I wonder if you could give a couple examples of things where the statistics, the, the prototypes show that there's a solution waiting for a community like Chicago or St. Louis or, or Baltimore that has been swallowed by crime. What are some of the things that really work? Sure. So one evidence-based solution, if you can look at what they did in Dallas, is they uh, did a strategy around focused deterrence. Yep. Um, and what that is, is um, uh, bringing the heavy hand of the law, but also working with um, violent interrupters, um, bringing community service programs um, and doing that in concert with um, targeting the places that have the highest um, um, crime rates. Um, but it, it definitely takes a, a relationship between um, the police in the community uh, working together um, and, and also including some alternatives to crime. But it also must include the heavy hand of the law. Um, and, and, and we've seen that work in places like uh, Dallas and, and, and Focus Deterrence was um, created in Boston. And, uh, and in Dallas right now, we see lower um, violent crime rates. Um, but even things like um, street lighting, um, green in the community, um, little things like that uh, um, play a major role and changing crime, uh, especially violent crime in a, in a locality. Um, and so what we want to do is continue to focus on those type of evidence-based solutions um, that, that has decreased crime in the past and can decrease crime in the future. Jerron, very quickly before we go, that heavy hand of the law is not quite as heavy when you have uh, a, a relationship between the community and, and the police force. How important do you think that relationship is to decreasing crime, decreasing recidivism, and just fostering a, a better community? Well, see, here's the thing. Um, in the communities, when they do the focus deterrence, right, you can have that heavy hand of the law, but you need to have a strong investment into the police. You need to give them the resources they need to solve for um, violent crime. And, um, you know, a lot of our police officers are, are, are struggling because um, they don't have the police force to even do the job. Um, so both, both strategies can work. That's a great point, Jerron. Jerron, we love having you on. We're going to get you back on soon because this issue is not going away. Great to have you on the show today. Thanks for joining us. Big thanks to Jerron. Listen, before we go to commercial break, next up, Heather Nauert, former spokeswoman for the State Department, top advisor to President Trump and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. She'll bring us up to speed on Israel, Iran, Ukraine, all of the big international news right after this. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? or the friends you find along the way. Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more, but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. 
Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Welcome back, everybody. I am positive that you will recognize our next guest from her time at the podium at the State Department when she served as a spokesperson for that department. And now she takes meaningful trips across the world and brings back an incredible wealth of knowledge. And we are so happy that she is bringing that knowledge to us today. Heather Nauert, she just landed a short time ago from a big trip to the Middle East. Heather, welcome back. Amanda, thank you so much. Great to be with you, John. Great to see you. We are happy to have you, and uh, I have to ask you about these pictures that you posted, this tour that you took of these tunnels that I believe were discovered by IDF in uh, 2018. They're Hezbollah terror tunnels. Talk to us about these pictures that you posted on social media. Sure. So uh, we've seen this before. And typically when we talk about terror tunnels in Israel, it's typically coming from Gaza across that border and into residential areas where regular Israelis live. And those are usually terror tunnels by Hamas. Now, what I saw on this trip to Israel was very different. These were terror tunnels dug by Hezbollah going from or coming from Lebanon underneath the border, what they call the UN Blue Line, into the state of Israel. And these were large tunnels that were very sophisticated in terms of their infrastructure. They had air conditioning, they had electricity. They were dug 260 feet deep underneath the ground, underneath this hard, hard bedrock. And you know how long it took Hezbollah to dig these tunnels? 10 years. And once Hezbollah crossed the blue line, which is essentially the border, that's when Israel busted them. And they caught six, they found six of these Hezbollah terror tunnels. And the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, says that these say that these were intended to bring men and supplies across for some sort of uh, incursion against Israel at some point. Absolutely amazing. It shows you the long commitment that these terror groups have to. If it takes 10 years to get the plan done, they're willing to spend the time to get it done. Um, Hezbollah tied to Iran. Everywhere we look, Iran's malfeasance is evident, whether it's in the plots to assassinate Mike Pompeo and John Bolton and President George W. Bush, the attacks on our soldiers in Iraq, the tunnels into Israel. And yet this president keeps negotiating with Iran like they're going to be a good actor. Your thoughts on the continued negotiations for the elusive uh, nuclear deal? Yeah, look, first of all, we shouldn't be in this. We shouldn't be negotiating with Iran whatsoever. Um, we know Iran's intention. Iran, Iran has uh, talked about its intention to try to kill my former boss, Secretary Pompeo, in addition to John Bolton, in addition to Israeli citizens who are traveling internationally. It's not just limited to former senior government officials. It's it, it also encompasses everyday civilians. Iran wants to wipe Israel off the map. Their intent is very clear. We're not going to be able to get these guys, this regime, to be a bunch of good guys. They're not going to tell us the truth. They're not going to negotiate in good faith. We shouldn't be trying to negotiate with them in the first place. 
But then think about it. We're not even directly trying to negotiate with them. We're going through Russia. We've talked about this before. Russia is not a fair interlocutor on our behalf. They're never going to want what's in the best interests of the United States or, in fact, any Western democracy. So we shouldn't be trusting uh, Russia to do it. Doesn't look like a deal is going to be done. And frankly, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I remember there was a time when we didn't negotiate with terrorists, but I guess that uh, is a time gone by. I wanted to ask you about the Golan Heights. It's a very strategic area. Uh, I know that if you stand on Golan Heights, you can look through binoculars and see the whites of the eyes of Hezbollah. Talk to us about that strategic area. I believe you, you were there on this, this most recent trip. Talk to us about that. Sure. And, uh, you know, it's not even that far. You don't even need binoculars to see where Iran and the bad guys are uh, just across from the Golan Heights. So if you think about Israel and you think about the upper uh, northeastern portion of Israel, that's where the Golan Heights is. It's up just north of the Sea of Galilee. We all know that from um, from reading and from history. And if you look across into Syria, you can see exactly where ISIS flew its black flags just a few years ago. Uh, ISIS is gone, at least from that part right now. There is a UN um, uh, operation to try to keep peace in that general area and to uh, keep a, a road open where, where they can bring supplies and materials into the Syrians who need it. But just beyond that, that's where Iran is. And there's a mountaintop that we could see with our plain eyes, did not even need binoculars, and that's where Iran had listening outposts and other kinds of surveillance and technology that they could use to spy on Israel. They are so close, the enemy is so close to this country, to our friends in the state of Israel, and that's a tremendous concern, not just for Israelis, but all peace-loving people, especially the United States. And as bad as Iran is to the Western world, which it is, it's awful terrible to its own people. The death of Masa Amini, a woman who was beaten to death simply because she showed her hair, um, it has not gotten the attention that the news media should, but I think it speaks volumes about the regime. Your thoughts on a young woman being beaten to death simply because she didn't have uh, a head cover on? It's just, it's, it's horrific, it's cruel, it's barbaric. But it's nothing that should surprise any of us in the West. This is the type of thing that the mullahs do, that the religious zealots in Iran do, that this extremist uh, leadership does in Iran. They are known for um, killing their own people who dissent. And that's simply what this what this young woman was doing. She didn't want to wear a headscarf. The religious police beat her to death. And now they're going crazy trying to make up excuses for it. Look, I, I think we could get to another flashpoint. We've seen this before in Iran where the Iranian people have stood up, where they've started to have protests only to sadly be knocked down by the Iranian regime. We might be getting to that point right now as well. We've got to watch this very carefully. Um, th there is so much going on overseas and we just have to keep an eye on what has happened uh, with this young woman. But our hearts and prayers go out to her and her family and all of those in Iran who are fighting back or trying to stand up to this regime. The Iranian people are good people. The regime yeah. is doing horrific things to its population. Oh, and, and how often do we see that? We see the same thing in China and Venezuela and places like that. But you touched on something that I want to hone in on a little bit. The Iranian people uh, who, who seem to me to have just an indefatigable spirit when it comes to opposing the dictators in their nation. They have been chanting death to dictator. Um, but my concern is that with, with the number of times that they rise up and then are, are hammered back down, 
that there's going to come a time when they just kind of throw up their hands and they say, okay, well, this is just how it is. Do you share the same concerns? I, you know, I don't I don't think so. And I, I could see how it would be easy to think that, Amanda, and, and to others, because they've had such a long history of being under uh, this type of rule. But, I, I, you know, I don't ever um, dismiss the human spirit and human dignity and our desire for that, whether it's in the United States, in Taiwan, or in Iran. I think it's frankly just a matter of time. I can't imagine that the Iranian people are going to have to live under this type of brutal regime that doesn't care for its people one iota. At some point, I think, and I don't know how, and I don't know when, but I think we all want freedom. And I think someday they will have that too. I hope they will. I hope so. That's a sand clock the entire world is rooting to run out. Uh, Heather, we've got about 90 seconds left. I want to ask you about this. When you were at the podium, there was always a clarity of message. Our allies and our enemies both knew where we stood. Joe Biden keeps having to reverse himself. The most recent example on Taiwan after the 60 Minutes interview. What do allies and adversaries think when a president constantly has to walk back his comments? It's confusing. And frankly, uh, the president's not the one walking back his comments. It's rather uh, Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, and others in, it in his administration. This is not just the president getting out ahead of policy. This is the president misstating policy. And then, and then his team has to walk it back and clearly state it. Now, we have what's called a one China policy, where there's one China and Taiwan is included in that policy. I don't happen to agree with that policy. A whole lot of people don't agree with that policy. My former boss, Mike Pompeo, doesn't agree with that policy. A lot of freedom loving people think that Taiwan should have uh, its sovereignty and be its own independent country and deserves to be free. But whether we like it or not, that is not our policy today. And President Joe Biden just stated very clearly that we would go to defend Taiwan. That is not in accordance to U.S. policy right now, and that's why his administration has to be walking that back. You know our military is very, very busy right now thinking about all the contingency plans that they have to make uh, should, should something happen uh, to, the, to this effect. Yeah. Heather, thank you so much. You are such a thought leader on all of these foreign issues, and we appreciate you joining us, your knowledge and your expertise, and we will look forward to having you back on very soon. Thank you so much. Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, Heather. Listen, Tanya Lee Davis, if you haven't heard her, she's one of the funniest comics in all of America. She has an incredibly inspiring personal story about how she overcame adversity in her life to become one of the top comics, one of the funniest people in America, right after this commercial message. Welcome back, everybody. Our next guest has quite the prolific career as a comedian and as a motivational speaker from the main stage to TikTok and other social media platforms alike. Tanya Lee Davis is bringing awareness through laughter and fun. She's on a tour now and will be performing over there in your neck of the woods, John, tomorrow night in D.C. Oh, Tanya wow. Lee, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's exciting. Oh, we, we are very excited. And you have had some hysterical TikToks. I have to tell you that our producer found you on TikTok and he absolutely loved you and found you hilarious. And I'm one of those people there. There isn't hardly any humor that's too abrasive to make me blush. You know, I, I pretty much anything goes for me. But in today's day and age, that doesn't really fly. I have a feeling you have some strong opinions about cancel culture. Uh, please let it rip. Well, I, it's hard for the audience to tell, but I am only three foot three inches tall. I have a body of a chihuahua with a pit bull personality, but I got a butt like a corgi. <laughs> so, 
being politically correct. Everybody seems to be quite sensitive these days, right? And I'm old school. I grew up in the 80s. It was all about tough love, sticks and stones, you know? And it wasn't about, you know, coddling your child and sanitizing and bubble wrapping. It was like, try it, do the best you can, you know, don't wimp out. And that made me a stronger individual. And I Right now, I believe people are consumed by this victim mentality. Everybody's so consumed by their own, you know, uh, depression and anxiety. And it's like, you know what? If you have depression and anxiety, welcome to being a human being. You know what? We all have <laughs> adversity. Stop focusing on what you can't do and focus on what you can do. And you know what? Laughter's the best medicine and it, it releases happy hormones. And more than ever since the lockdown, laughter is very important in our culture right now. Yeah, it sure is. We need a lot more. Well, Tanya, we, we love some of your TikToks, and our team here has put together a couple of their favorites. Let's take a look. I want to ask you about them after we roll them. Let's roll tape. I told my friend the other day that I had five guys. She actually thought I was talking about the restaurant. <laughs> this is for my British friends. Oh, my gosh. I hear you guys are having a massive heat wave, and I know you guys can't handle the heat at all. I've been there. Yeah, I've seen Scouse women, Mancunian women. They wear so much makeup when the temperatures get near 30 degrees. You can see where Elton John gets his inspiration for Candle in the Wind. It's like that screen painting. Indiana, don't open the ark. So I decided instead of spending a lot of money on expensive stuff trying to get rid of this neck flap under here, I'm just going to grow out my chin hair into a goatee and hide it. Works for my husband. <laughs> oh, God. You are an equal opportunity comedian. Tell us a little bit about what goes into your recipe of finding something that you know is going to make people laugh. Well, my act has actually changed quite a bit uh, since the lockdown because I've been spending two to six hours a day on social media. And um, so I, based on people's questions and stuff like that, I realized that people have this victim mentality. So I have this tattoo on my arm that says unstoppable me. And I realized uh, my life just being who I am, three and a half feet tall, traveling around the world, uh, spreading love and laughter, uh, that inspires and motivates people. And so I'm very much a storyteller. And my act now, I have done two TED Talks, and my act has become a comedy show plus TED Talks. So my audience gets something a little bit different. They get educated, they get inspired and motivated. And I think that's really important in this day and age to have role models and positive role models. And I don't want people feeling sorry for me. I've had an incredible life, and I get to use my comedy to tell people about all the fun stories I've done and experiences I've had in my life because I am a little person. I, I love it. And there was a song from Sia's album a few years ago called Unstoppable, and you just perfectly uh, encapsulate the lyrics of that song. Um, I wanted to ask you, you have given TED Talks. You are a motivational speaker. Talk to us about some of those things that you discuss when you're on stage and, and giving motivational talks. Well, like I said, my life, because people automatically want to feel sorry for when they see somebody different. Uh, by the way, I've stopped using the term disabled or handicapped. I'm calling myself exotic because we really appreciate <laughs> exotic animals in nature, right? People admire all these exotic animals and they're fascinated. They love the colors and the differences when it comes to human beings, right? We, we go, ooh, what's wrong? That's different. We don't like it. And it's like... No, I'm just exotic. You know, I just do different things than you guys. And, and, you know, my career right now, I've been 32 years in the business. It's evolved. And right now I'm on this mission to the Unstoppable Me train. I've got a documentary 
from the UK that's coming over. We've got a GoFund, me trying to raise money to bring them over to film my life, a documentary on my comedy, The Unstoppable Me Message. We're filming my uh, comedy special in Pottstown, Pennsylvania on November 4th. And we're hoping to put a travel show teaser and try to sell all three of those shows to like, you know, Amazon or Netflix just to get it out there because this is, you know, 32 and a half years in the business. I have worked hard and it's all luckily coming to something great. That's amazing. So I know you're coming to Washington, and I can tell you that no one here has a sense of humor, but we're really good for generating good <laughs> material for humor. I know that for sure. Um, what do you expect when you get to the nation's capital? What are you going to stir up here tomorrow night? Well, like I said, I, I'm, you know, my message is is for everybody. It doesn't matter what color, size, race, religion, gender, planetary affiliation. So, you know, that you cannot deny my, you know, I am living proof that if you set your mind to something and you, uh, you know, you can achieve your own personal greatness. And that's what being an unstoppable me is all about. So it goes for everybody. It's a mantra that I want everybody to take on board. Yeah. Very quickly. We've just got about a minute and a half left. I wanted to ask you, get back to your roots. What was it like as a woman breaking into the comedy world? Because I've heard from other uh, comedians that it was it was hard kind of breaking into something that at one time was very much an old boys club. Absolutely. Well, I'm actually originally from Canada. So I started January 23rd of 1990. Uh, yes, in a very male dominated field. But not only just that, but with having dwarfism, being a disabled comedian, exotic um, comedian, um, you know, that seemed to kind of get in my way more with bookers than it did the female part you know i had a booker that said um i booked somebody with cerebral palsy and the audience didn't really like them so i don't think they're gonna like you and i was like well that's like comparing jet fuel and pineapples you know <laughs> so i just put my head down i focus i be the best me that i can be i worked hard in this business so i deserve everything that i get because i have worked hard and not giving you know has been handed to me. I love it. You are such an inspiration. And everyone, be sure to look for tickets on Tanya Lee's website, www.tanyaleedavis.com, or her hysterical TikTok or social media accounts by following at Tanya Lee Davis. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up for the day. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition, the Sunday edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. I'm so glad we could take the best interviews from our television show, Just the News, Not Noise, that Amanda Head and I do, and adapt them so you can hear them on this podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for reading Just the News. Thank you for watching Just the News, Not Noise. We are forever grateful for your support, and I'll tell you, we'll be back on Monday and do this all over again with a new edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News tomorrow. Until then, God bless you. Have a great rest of your weekend. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, God bless and good night. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe.